Welcome to Radioactive Magazine. We will be talking with Mark Mawson, Executive Director of the Missouri Press Association and President of M Newspaper Association Managers. Before joining the Missouri Press Association as Assistant Executive Director in 2015, he spent 33 years in advertising and managing management with the Kansas City Star. Mawson earned a Bachelor's of Journalism from the Missouri School of Journalism in 1980. So, Mark, what are the most important messages you would like to communicate to our audience? Well, just to kick off, I know in the past few years, there's been several terms that have been used, and one is fake news. And um, in the newspaper industry, especially here in Missouri, uh, uh, I take a uh, issue with that because I feel like uh, while there could be viable explanations for fake news interpretations, especially on a national broadcast level, there's no uh, uh, question about that and how that might be interpreted that way. But I really feel that uh, newspapers in Missouri, that's what I do. That's what I represent. And especially um, there's 207 newspapers in the state of Missouri and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and the Kansas City Star are just two of them. The other 205 are small dailies and or weeklies out there that are just striving to report on what's going on in their community. And in no way, shape or form would I agree that there is, quote unquote, fake news. In 2021, a, 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 a journalist told the Missouri government, uh, told a Missouri government official about a security flaw in the state's website. And Governor Mike Parsons threatened to prosecute uh, that journalist. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I think that was actually a, a sad time in, in regards to journalism here in Missouri, at least during that short time frame there. Uh, there was nothing that that reporter, his name is Josh Renaud, and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch did that was wrong. They discovered a state website that lists teachers' names and certification status that also it accidentally exposed their social security numbers. He was just doing research for a story and he came upon this. He did not write a story and let everyone know about this. He, he instead went to that state agency and said, hey, we we have found this and you might want to correct this. I am in the process of writing a story, but I will not do it until you either take it down or make sure everything is correct. The unfortunate aspect of this is the governor carried this even further and felt like this individual was, oh my gosh, a, a, a security risk, I think, to state government websites. And he doubled down on that. And it, it was it was very unfortunate. You know, that reporter, he was wronged in a very public way. He was accused of being a criminal and instigated a criminal investigation. Uh, we can't allow political officials to persecute journalists for publishing things that they don't like. And so uh, if anything, I feel like uh, the reporter did the Department of Education a favor by acting responsibly and letting them know of the potential problem. Unfortunately, the governor chose to take it a different direction. Uh, well, I happen to I happen to agree agree with you. I think, I mean, does the governor really want this state's website to to continue flaws that are known to the public? Well, you know, Spencer, that that's the point exactly. Are there other attacks on journalism in Missouri that you care to mention? Recent attacks on journalism in Missouri that you care to mention? Oh, um, I I think that uh, there is a, a, a 
Missouri Independent is a news agency that reports out of news in Jefferson City. And they do a really good job. And they've only been in existence for, I think, since uh, 2020. And unfortunately, a lot of Missouri newspapers aren't able to send a reporter down to Jeff City anymore to cover things that happen in the state capitol. And these are three or four of the best reporters in the state. Jason Hancock from the Kansas City Star, Rudy Keller from the Columbia Tribune, Rebecca Rivas from the St. Louis uh, American, and others. And they spend time reporting on things in Jefferson City. There are some legislators that feel like the funding for this organization is being done by George Soros, believe it or not. And some state legislators, not legislators, but I'd say some state officials won't talk to these reporters because they feel that way and they think that their reporting is biased. The interesting thing about the, the Independent is that it is, there are 22, I think, different states that uh, are run by the same organization. It's a non-for-profit, exactly is what it is. The University of Missouri School of Journalism did research on their background here and found no connection to whatever some might think is, is illicit, namely George Soros and a, and a liberal bent. And uh, they're doing a great job. And you know what they do? They write stories and they send them to us. And here at Missouri Press, we send them out to our member newspapers and they're able to uh, print those stories if they have the room or if the story is pertinent enough to them so they can get that news out to our readers in different parts of the state. And that's what the great job that this company is doing. And, and that's where I think sometimes, unfortunately, people have pre-described or, or they have opinions about what happens with this type of agency and they don't trust it. And it, it, it's unfortunate that uh, the Missouri Independent has been labeled as, as something like that. Yeah. Talk about the concentration of ownership of news outlets in Missouri. Well, quite a bit of that has happened lately. I'll just give one example. So Gatehouse owned quite a few newspapers and they sold them to Gannett. At one time, there were 10 or 12 different newspapers in the state that Gannett owned. And uh, that was probably three or four years ago. And they put them all up for sale, with the exception of two newspapers, their two largest ones, the Springfield News Leader and the Columbia Tribune. The Columbia Tribune has a great printing press here. In fact, it prints the Midwest edition of the New York Times and USA Today. I understand why they want to keep them. But a lot of these smaller newspapers, they literally had stripped them of almost everything. And the best thing about that was they put them up for sale and a lot of local newspaper owners in a neighboring county or a neighboring city were able to buy those newspapers and keep them going. I'll give you an example. In Camdenton, uh, the, the the people that own the Eldon newspaper, they bought the Camdenton paper. It made sense because they also own Hermitage and Tipton and they could expand their little three or four newspaper group. There's another example of a Tim in, Schmidt. In adjacent counties. In an adjacent county, exactly. Right. It, 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 uh, another one is uh, Montgomery County, Tim Schmidt. He was able to buy Mexico and Mexico was, it was really been stripped to nothing. And he, because he owns Montgomery County and Warrington, he was able to keep it going those examples actually worked to the advantage of Missouri Press and to Missouri readers because those neighboring newspapers were know what they're doing and they can they can uh, possibly save some costs because there's there's economies of scale because they have three or four newspapers in a three or four county area and I won't consider those newspaper chains or corporate America those are local newspaper guys that are buying an extra newspaper so those are a few things that have happened. There's one other one I want to mention here, Spencer. There's an interesting group out of New Jersey. It's called Cherry Road Media. Okay. Jeremy Goldman is the individual, and he's an IT uh, entrepreneur. 
that decided he wanted to get into the newspaper business. Now, who does that? And he bought his first newspaper in Minnesota, uh, I think it was about two to three years ago. Right now, he's up to almost 80 newspapers across the upper Midwest. Okay, he owns eight newspapers right now in the state of Missouri. And he also bought quite a few of these Gannett newspapers. And it's really an interesting model of what he's doing. He saved some of these newspapers. You said there are 207 newspapers in Missouri right now. How many were there a decade, 20, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago? Um, I do know it was over 300. Um, there's no question there's been a consolidation of newspapers. There's been newspapers that shut down. The one uh, positive aspect I will tell you, and I tell every legislator this, is um, there's 114 counties in the state of Missouri, and there's a newspaper in every single county. Okay? Not all states can say that. That's a, a nationwide concern with um, uh, news deserts and ghost newspapers. Um, I've read about a, a, a newspaper that was still somehow publishing, even though it had zero local reporters on staff. Right. <laughs> right. That's yeah. not in Missouri, right? It's not the case here. I can tell you. I know these papers. They're, they're there. Great. They're publishing. That's great. In 1956, newspapers were over 1% of the U.S. economy. Uh, in 2020, they were less than a tenth of a percent. <laughs> so I guess that's sort of feeds into what you're saying. There were over 300 papers some uh, some some years ago. Yes. Uh, right. But, um, you know, Spencer, there's no question there's a huge loss of revenue there. I'm going to fall back on and give you some experiences from when I worked at the Kansas City Star. I mean, some of those newspapers, let's face it, my gosh, the Thanksgiving Day paper was printed in six different bundles and had to be delivered in two passes. I mean, the, the, the type of advertising that was in those newspapers, the national advertisers like the Jones Store and Macy's and Dillard's, and not only that, different types of business, like the grocers, every single grocer in town had to put their insert in those papers and, and distribute them that way. And, but, you know, the first industry that really started to lose out to the Internet, quite frankly, was classified with auto and with real estate and help wanted. It was seen as a, another way to be able to get the message out that worked better than newspapers. So, I mean, you're right. Right now, you just look at it. I, I can tell you firsthand those numbers are accurate. There's no question about that. Uh, and that has probably affected the major metros more than anyone else. OK, some of our weekly newspapers are doing I would say so. The majority of our weekly newspapers are doing extremely well because they're working with local advertisers and putting that newspaper out. And they're not relying on the Walmarts of the world. We've heard a lot about political polarization and the rise of political polarization in the U.S. and internationally. What, what do you have to say about that? Uh, that does seem to be uh, obviously a trend that's, uh, that, my gosh, is working its way through the country. Uh, that, that's why I'm going to make a comment here. That's why newspapers are so important. Oh, my gosh, they serve as watchdogs for what goes on in so many different avenues and ways of of, uh, uh, of, of all these different government and, and different entities that we need newspapers now more than anything. They're, if anything, I, I, I would make the comment they're protectors of democracy. OK, they really are. And that's the kind of work that is important. The term watchdog is overused, but it's a, really is a, 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 an accurate description of what they do.
I just look at Marion County, Kansas. <laughs> oh my gosh, that that that's an unbelievable uh, example of what has happened there. If they didn't have that local newspaper writing that story, just what might have happened there with that police chief in that department? I mean, I don't know if that's answering your question as far as political uh, polarization. Uh, uh, the political polarization is something that has just reared its head recently, and uh, we're, we're we're moving in that direction. And I just hope that newspapers can point out the the pros and cons of each side and do it uh, in an accurate way. Okay. That's their role. Yeah. Well, Robert media scholar, Robert McChesney, my number one media scholar that I know is uh, uh, at least in the U S uh, insists that local news is, is uh, uh, the right response. Uh, growing and, and subsidizing and improving local news is a, is a, is an appropriate response to political polarization. That's correct. I, so, I totally agree. We are talking with Mark Mawson, executive director of the Missouri Press Association and president of Newspaper Association Managers, about the current challenges in, in the news business and what he recommends that he'd like our audience to do to build a better future for yourselves and others by helping improve the news available to the public. So talk about it. what would you like our audience to do to help build a better future for themselves and others? Well, you know, there's been a movement and, and you might address it in some of your later questions to for the nonprofit newspapers. Um, and, and in that regard, uh, I can give you an example of a newspaper in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, the Rust newspapers down there that's called the Southeast Missourian. The newspaper's been around for a long time. It's a daily newspaper. Mm -hmm. And they're looking at, and they're starting to look at ways to make it a nonprofit newspaper through donations from the community out there that want to see more local reporting that's done. And one way to do that is to contribute uh, to funding of an additional reporter of sorts. Okay. And uh, we recently had John Rust, uh, he's a principal there in, uh, in uh, Cape Girardeau, come and speak at our convention to our newspapers about this. And it was mm -hmm. the best attended session that we had recently, just in September. Mm -hmm. So newspapers are looking at this all over the place. You know, what, what's the biggest example, Spencer, of a, a nonprofit newspaper is what? The Philadelphia Inquirer, right? They're one of the largest paper. They are the largest paper that right now is completely nonprofit. And, and it's run by an institution or, or, or a charitable organization. I guess if you're, if you're asking the public what they can do, gosh, and that's one thought. Subscribe. <laughs> subscribed right subscribed, you know right, right. Uh, if anything you, you know continue that like i don't live in kansas city anymore i'm down in columbia missouri now but i digitally subscribe to the kansas city star every day and i love it mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that's the platform that i i get it on either on my phone or on my desktop but you know i want to keep up on what's going on in kc so i digitally subscribe sure. and, and yet i grew up in osage county missouri in lynn missouri and the local newspaper there is the Unterrified Democrat. And it's a printed newspaper, and it's 60 miles from here in Columbia. But I want to see what goes on in my hometown. And I've been a subscriber there since when I was 22 years old, over 45 hmm. years ago. Okay? That's, that's, that's just that's an example great. of what I do. But I'm a newspaper guy. But, I mean, that's what people can do. Yeah, that's great. So I, I, I've, uh, my research says that, that, that you and I benefit from newspapers that were published in the in the early 19th century, subsidized by the U.S. Postal Service Act of 1792, that 
built the uh, what appears to be the the most diverse newspaper culture in the world, perhaps before at any time, even maybe I don't know. But they encouraged literacy and limited political corruption, uh, and built the economy that you and I enjoy today. Comments? That's true. You know, in the in fact, if you look at that, uh, the U.S. Postal Service was so instrumental in, in that as well. And there, it still is, uh, because our weekly newspapers, that's our main method of distribution. It's not carriers anymore. And in fact, I've seen some daily newspapers uh, in Jefferson City recently, and that's a daily newspaper, but they're delivered via the mail. They get mm -hmm. it to the post office that morning, and it's delivered. It's not really a morning newspaper because a carrier has to deliver it, but it's whenever you get it that day, it's in the postal street. That's unique in a way. The, the unfortunate thing about that, Spencer, is I think, Gosh, the postal rate increases that have taken place over the oh, past yeah. few years, uh, especially with the new uh, postmaster general, what, Louis DeJoy. But he's, he's, they're averaging two rate increases a year. That is really putting a strain on our local newspapers. Um, so is that an example of uh, back in the day, this was set up to be distributed by uh, the federal government and, and their intervention? Well, maybe, but... It's a business decision right now the newspapers have and how they can get their newspaper out. And that's just that's just one thing yeah. that I know newspapers continually have to try to to work their way through. Yeah, indeed. Right. So, uh, yeah, McChesney suggests estimated that that uh, newspaper subsidies, the postal subsidies, the fact that newspapers were delivered well below cost, below cost um, was was like two tenths of a percent of uh, our the national income, gross domestic product in 1840. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, one other side note to that is, uh, I'll use my example, in, in most post offices, the largest customer is a local newspaper. Mm -hmm. I can tell you in Kansas City it was, uh, because at the time the, they were really uh, uh, pursuing the grocery business mm -hmm. in, uh, in, the, in Kansas City area. And the subscriptions that the Kansas City Star had reached roughly 30% of the audience in Kansas City, but everyone has to eat. That was the theory of the grocers. So they wanted to reach the non-subscriber as well. So what did the, the Star do? They put out a product via the mail system to everyone that doesn't subscribe to the Star. And they were able to deliver to close to 1 million households every week, that grocery insert for Price Chopper or <laughs> Ivy. What is Newspaper Association Managers Incorporated, Mr. President? <laughs> oh, it's um. Let me let me give you the official definition. Okay, uh, NAM, Newspaper Association Managers, is a professional organization of executives of states, regional, national, and international newspaper associations, headquartered in the U.S. and Canada. That's the interesting thing. In other words, it's it's what people, I'm executive director of Missouri Press. But it's people what I do what I do in all the other 50 states and in Canada. And what's so interesting about this organization is no way has invented anything new or different in a way to approach a problem. So we can learn so much from each other. We can learn, oh my gosh, Oregon's going through that. What did you do to fight that, Oregon? And we share all these this type of information. And it's just a it's a unique small little organization, as you can imagine, what 50, 60 people. And it's so beneficial for all of us to be able to learn and talk. We, we get together two to three times a year 
just because we learn so much from each other. And that's what NAM is, Newspaper Association Managers. In other words, it's the executive directors of state press associations and uh, province, Canadian provinces as well. And you rotate uh, presidency? We do. Yeah, every year. Uh, it was my turn this year. Uh, so I, I'm president of it. Uh, I'd like to say uh, uh, it's a motley crew. We'll just say that. But uh, but uh, uh, very informational uh, uh, gatherings. Uh, we just got back from a legislative conference in D.C. that was held um, earlier the, the, this month. And mm -hmm. we learned so much when we go there. And you can imagine in that environment. So what did you learn? <laughs> well, um, we did. I, I don't know if you want to touch on this later, but it, whenever we, uh, one of the more interesting things that we we touched base on, let me grab something here, is press forward. Okay. Tell um, me about that. So uh, we had Duck Lou speak to us, and he's basically the individual that represents the Knight Foundation on the on the press forward in the $500 million that might be available out there. Um, it's so interesting about this. And, and I know you have a question in, in lining up to talk about this, but I'm going to jump into it right now because I found it very informational, the information that we were able to glean from his presentation to us. Uh, there's a lot of money that is available, $500 million. And it's a, basically a five-year initiative uh, that's meant to be a down payment. I thought that was one of the most interesting. It's not a mortgage to save newspapers. It's meant to be a down payment of sorts. And there are four different pillars of Press Forward, okay? It's meant to help, A, local newsrooms, or I should say one, number one. Number two, it's supposed to represent racial equity. Number three, it's supposed to be driving and enabling an, an environment of searching for news. And number four, the public policy needs to be met. And uh, it's all concerning showing the value of local news and also having innovative partners. Um, it's interesting that like how these different funds are going to be presented out there is still up in the air. Like, like you, you, you might imagine Missouri Press Association, we, we'd love to be able to uh, maybe see if we could get some funds that can help some of our local newspapers. Do you have any comments on evaluation? I, 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 you'll forgive me. I asked that because in July of this, just a few months ago, I published a piece where I suggested that we needed randomized control trials in how to fund and manage whatever local news. Uh, so, <laughs> and that similar to what. Uh, Banerjee DeFlo and Kramer won the 2019 Nobel Memorial Prize in using showing how randomized control trials could be used to reduce poverty. So that's an that's an interesting point. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that might be one answer for you. I, I I have a lot of faith in. I'll just say. The examples that I have, so much of what we do here is we help local small town journalism in rural areas that really need to report on what's happening in their communities, in their areas. And they get great benefit from an organization like Missouri Press Association, okay? Because we can help them maybe learn the latest in InDesign and how to put out that newspaper through a group training effort that they'd never be able to pay for themselves. 
Missouri Independent, what I just outlined earlier in our conversation, they cover state news in Jefferson City. They entered a lot of stories into our Better Newspaper Contest. Mm -hmm. We have a, a great awards contest every year, and it puts larger newspapers against larger newspapers and weeklies against weeklies, and they submit their stories, and they win awards. And it's one great way for an outstanding young uh, journalist that's, that's really working hard in the corner of the state to get recognition for what they've done, right? Usually in the large newspaper category, it's either the St. Louis Post-Dispatch or the Kansas City Star that wins a gold cup. There's a gold cup based on each category every year, the newspaper that wins the most awards, right? We put the Missouri Independent in that category because they do produce four or five stories every single day that's passed out and pressed out and, and sent statewide. And we had those stories judged. Whenever we have judges for this, we trade with another state. OK, for example, like we're getting ready to judge Virginia, but last year Pennsylvania judged us. So there's no preconceived notions on these judges whenever they look at these things. For the first time ever, a newspaper did not win the gold cup in the large category. It was the Missouri Independent. It was an online venue that won. And uh, and rightfully so. No one could argue against that with the type of news that they put out there every single day. Look at what's going on right now. Representative Plotker, who is the uh, uh, the speaker of the House. There's all kinds of stories recently written about, oh, him maybe double dipping on his expenses. And well, how was that found out? That was found out by a Sunshine Law request done by the Missouri Independent. Any comments on legislation that may be uh, pending in Jefferson City or Washington, D.C.? In Jeff City, so... Um, I do go to Jeff City quite a bit. That's why we're down here in Columbia. A lot of press associations are in the state capitol. Uh, during the legislative session from January through May, I'm down there at least one or two days a week watching uh, any type of legislation that I might be going through that affects newspapers. And there's two big issues that we always are on the lookout for. One is Sunshine Law. We're protectors of the Sunshine Law. We want records to be kept open as much as possible. And there's always seems to be some sort of legislation moving forward for whatever reason there is to close down some of these records. It can always get very detailed on how they want this closed or that closed. And quite frankly, we don't agree with it. Um, taxpayers' dollars, funds like that, the people need to know that's that's out there. So I will testify, different people here at Missouri Press will, on the benefits of keeping records open. So we watch things like that all the time down in Jeff City. The other issue is public notices. Public notices... For example, like a land tax sale, a delinquent tax sale happens every single year, right? And it's the first three weeks of August. And that's when properties are auctioned off that where people haven't been paying their, their taxes on it. Well, those, this is a type of public notice that needs to be in a newspaper where your neighbor can say, hey, did you happen to see the place next to you that's going up for sale? Well, I wouldn't necessarily go to a website, a, a, the county government's website, to see if that was going to be up for sale. The, and that's what a lot of legislation, different examples of that have, have been pushed forward where people want to take it out of newspapers and want to put it on a website. Sounds like an avenue for, for political corruption, <laughs> big time. Really, it really is, yeah. We have been visiting with Mark Mawson, Executive Director of the Missouri Press Association and President of Newspaper Association Managers, about current challenges in the news business and what he recommends that we all do to build a better future for ourselves and uh, others by helping improve the news available to all. Tune in next week when attorney and University of Kansas professor of practice Carl Brooks 
talks to us about um, the legislation that he thinks people ought to be worried about it in the coming year in, in both Jeff City and uh, Topeka. I'm Spencer Graves. Thanks for listening.